Hey guys, what movie did we watch this week? The Warlock's Assistant? The Wizard's Helper? Oh wait, I remember. satirists and welcome to swords and satire the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art i'm your dungeon manager jamie mokul here with my ever present except for when they're not (laughs) co-hosts i'm jack olander uh a human who uses 90 percent of their brain but it's still not enough to be a sorcerer (laughs) too bad and I'm Chelsea, the ever-sleepy dragon. Oh, that's a nice trait. <laughs> Her snores rumble the apartment. <laughs> <laughs> and by apartment, I mean small home. <laughs> well, guys. Mini home. We've done it again. Oh. That's right. This week, we watched a Nicolas Cage movie. Oh, boy. I've been waiting for this moment all my life. Cage Daddy. (laughs) Cage the Daddies. That's right. This week we watched 2010's Disney classic, The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Oh, yeah. Directed by John Turtletob and starring Nicolas Cage, Jay Baruchel, Teresa Palmer, Alfred Molina, Monica Belushi, Toby Keeble, Nicole Erringer, Alice Krieg? That's eh, probably alright. I believe you that those are names. Yeah. The most important one that we all need to know is Nick Cage. The Cage himself. That's right. But before we... Oh, and that's right. This movie is also narrated in the very beginning. Of course it is, because it's a fantasy movie, by Deadwood's Ian McShane. Yeah. I wish he had actually been a character in the movie. Yeah, he could... Oh, do you think he's actually the guy from John Wick? Oh, Like, is this the crossover between the John Wick cinematic universe and the... Disney Cinematic Universe? It oh, is crap. now. Dude, I'm just waiting for the day when they add Nicolas Cage to the John Wick universe. Oh, you know it's got to be happening soon. Oh, man, I hope so. Well, before we get too far into the podcast, I think Chelsea has a well-planned summary ready to go. So, The Sorcerer's Apprentice is a movie about a, the quest for ultimate power and multiple layers of unrequited love. So much unrequited love. And an advertisement for the band One Republic. Yes. <laughs> yes. How many times does that song play? Three times. Hmm. It's Respectable. Not too many, but it's enough to be noticed. <laughs> <laughs> so we start in Britain, 740 AD, with three apprentices of Merlin. That's right. The Big M himself. The Merlin. Merlin's a good caster. (laughs) It's a love triangle between Veronica Balthazar, played by your boy, Nick Cage. Oh, yeah! He's a good boy. And Horvath, also our boy. Fred Molina. Yeah. Or Al Molina, Alfred Molina. (laughs) Also known as Doc Ock. Yep. Yep. And... Now that I'm remembering that Nicolas Cage also plays the spider in Into the Spider-Verse, we've oh got a crossover here. So this is a world of black and white magic, folks. We've got the Merlin Merlinians. That's right. Who fo- are followers of Merlin, basically, and they're the good guys. And their magic is good magic. Yes. All right. This tracks so far. good magic. Having grown up on Star Wars, everything's tracking. Yep. We have the followers of Morgana Le Fay. The Morganians? um, Who are basically bad wizards or sorcerers. (laughs) They they practice bad magic. (laughs) Yes, I believe that's what they call it in the movie. Their magic is evil. It is bad. And they've been fighting throughout the millennia. 
with the Merlinians trying to capture and kill all Morganians so that there is peace in the land. And the Morganians are always searching for more power and control and want to take over the world. Yeah, I mean, the the good guys aren't killing, it seems like. They're just uh, locking them into a Russian doll. Like you a know, stacking doll. You know how ethical prison is, right? And so they're yes. doing eternal prison. Right, which must be eternally trial, ethical. Because they're yeah. bad magicians, so it's <laughs> it's completely black and white. Their name is a different caster name that starts with an M. You yeah. Know, Merlinian Morgana, she appropriated the M caster. Yeah. So. Oh. There's no trial now. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. It was a so, copyright infringement thing. Yeah. Belthazar, and an apocalypse thing. Belthazar <laughs> is the last remaining Merlinian, and he is searching for the prime Merlinian. This wouldn't be a fantasy movie without the prophecy. Gotta have narration, gotta have a prophecy, gotta have crazy hair. They don't even know about the prophecy. <laughs> so the dragon from Merlin's ring that he gave to Belthazar before he died, any kid that it likes is going to be the prime Merlinian. Yeah, that pretty much and, is the best explanation that we get. And it takes Balthazar a thousand years, but he finally finds a kid by chance who wanders into his shop, the... Arcana Cabana. Fun fact, also the name that Nicolas Cage calls his bathroom. Nice. nice. Funny you should mention that, because <laughs> the kid pees his pants. <laughs> Oh, we're, we're going to talk more about that in the themes. Definitely. <laughs> There's a lot of poo-poo pee-pee humor in this so movie. The setting is New York City, year 2000. Dave stumbles his way into this shop, meeting Balthazar and acquiring a ring that's over a millennia old as it fastens itself to his finger by magic. That was actually pretty sweet. Like, I saw that, I was like, I would like that ring. Yeah. That would look good on my finger. I saw it at a Red Fair, I think. (laughs) After he causes some hijinks and accidentally, you know, releases a couple more Ganyans from the (laughs) doll prison. Or just one, right? Um, A bad one, though. Yeah, it was a big deal. Yeah. Horvath, yep. namely. He releases Horvath. Um, Horvath and Belsazar accidentally get trapped in some different vase for another ten years. Meanwhile, Dave is tortured by his psychological woes and concerning being a sorcerer and not knowing if he can even trust himself and his own experiences. He's so disturbed he decides to major in physics. (laughs) Poor kid. That's the decay of the soul right there. (laughs) So he goes to college. We see him as he's got his weird underground lab with full of different types of Tesla coils. He Tries to befriend and woo a woman named Becky, who he went to school with in the fourth grade. Not weird or creepy. Not a stalker at all. No, he just follows her in the dark. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Eventually, Balthazar and Horvath escape. Balthazar finds him and starts training him. We get some awesome magical battle scenes. Yeah. Wizard duels. Yep. Some great wizard duels. Some peeing of pants. Oh, so much pant pee. No, I'm so scared I'm peeing and pooping my pants. (laughs) Some awkward uh, love triangle hijinks and lusting after Becky, which is very awkward. I mean, lusting after Becky is like a pastime in this movie. I guess so. Eventually, Dave does believe in himself after almost giving the whole sorcery gig up and goes up against none other than Morgana Le Fay herself, ultimately defeating her ghost in battle. It's a good way to prove your mettle, to defeat Morgana's ghost in battle. And effectively thwarting her plans to take over the world. Well, she was going to, like, there there was this, the the rising, right? She was going to, like, bring all the dead back to life. Can you imagine the overpopulation problem we'd have if every dead person ever came back to life? Yeah. That might be something to revisit in rewriting history. (laughs) Well, I don't know. 
Yeah, because I think the population was going to decline quite a bit as well in that event. (laughs) If you know what you mean. (laughs) So there's your summary. That's right, because now it's time for the delve, where we dig deep into the themes, scenes, creation of, and anything else we want to talk about for this movie. Nice. So let's talk about Disney product placement. (laughs) Yeah! Oh, I didn't notice it. Uh, there's a few things. Uh, uh, Dave has a Buzz Lightyear alarm clock in the beginning of the movie. Uh, really? Yeah. Oh, I like that. And uh, at the end, after the credits, or like just before the credits roll, or after the credits roll, there's like uh, Mickey's hat from Fantasia. By the way, like oh, this yeah. story is basically Fantasia, right? Like, it, I mean, by design, very this is, loosely. Yeah. This is loosely based on the story of Fantasia. Mm-hmm. One of those shorts from Fantasia. Yeah. yeah, they even have, like, the same, like, scene, exactly. Yeah, perfect recreation of that classic mop uh, scene. Where the mop <laughs> just, like, jams up Mickey's ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, that happens to Dave. And he, yeah, like, the mop does keep trying to jam up his ass. It's It, it doesn't... Uh, there's a lot there's of... There's a lot of, like I said, a lot of poo-poo, pee-pee, too... <laughs> Toot toot humor in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of stuff is fucking with his ass. Da- Dave, when, <laughs> when David's like 10 and he goes into the Arcana Cabana, he comes out, it looks like he's peeing his pants. Everyone laughs. The, there's a lot, a lot of farting. A lot of farting in this movie. His dog's farting. His dog's farting. His dog pees on the floor. There's so much peeing that it's actually. I kind of saw it as part of the theme of power and control, and it has to do with the fear of losing control, like incontinence. Ooh, nice. Let's talk about it. Yeah, so... A lot of water imagery throughout the movie, too. Yes. There's a lot of preoccupation with Dave's character about urination, like needing to pee, peeing himself, worrying that people will think he peed himself. Yes. There's a Standing fight scene in a puddle that makes it look like he peed himself. There's a fight scene in the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. When he's peeing. Wait, yeah, that's right. <laughs> this is a Disney movie where we see a character pee. I mean, we don't see him peeing, but we see him like standing in a bathroom stall, and then like one of the evil wizards that uh, Horvath recruits like shows up in the bathroom with him. And uh, yeah. Touches at, him. I know. At the urinal. Yeah. And then there's Does not another, understand boundaries at all. No, that's actually a pretty funny scene, but uh Yeah. There's also another time when he um Balthazar wants to start training him in the Merlin circle, which is like a magical circle. And he's like, But if you come in here you you won't be able to leave until you've mastered this skill and he's like, Maybe I should pee first then. Yeah. And he's always right. so concerned with needing to pee. It's, it's he's obsessed ever since that just traumatizing moment at, in at, when he was ten years old in he, front of it's Becky. Like, it's like an obsessive compulsive thing. For yeah, him. it really da- it really shows the damage that can be done through bullying. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, it's a scathing indictment of the of the extreme bullying that has you know been going on in our country. Um, Ten years ago, you know <laughs> they already mm-hmm. saw it coming when they made this movie. It's amazing. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, there are many other ways that other characters are seeking power and control. I mean, Morgana wants to control the entire world through using an army of the undead. Which is how I also want to control the entire world. Yeah. Mm. Oh, wait, uh, can we take this part out? (laughs) (laughs) And all of the sorcerers on either side, either the Merlinians or the Morganians, they all want to attain more power and master the power that they wield. God, there's so much talk about the power in this movie. I thought we were watching He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Yeah, I know. You know what they say. Absolute power uh, finds a way. <laughs> That's, yes. There was the whole sequence near the end when Horvath was getting stronger. And um, he was going around killing all of the apprentices to gain their jewelry, which is what they need to use to cast through. 
And he was attaching all of the jewelry to his cane, which he cast through, and it was increasing his power. Arcane focuses. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Killing other Morganians as well. Yeah. He Not was... like there's a lot of Merlinians running around. Hey. Yeah, there's more yeah, there's only There's really only two, right? Yeah. Oh, and then uh, Veronica... She's trapped. Who's trapped with Morgana's soul inside of her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Balthazar has been so focused on finding Dave over the thousand years. Yeah, the that, prime Merlinian. Yeah, that he just, like, has ignored training other apprentices because he's like, they're all going to be failures. That's a good point. But he was so focused on finding the prime Merlinian because he, he wanted to find a way to free Veronica because he was in love with her. What if the trick was that he needed to just find anyone who could do? And yeah. he just waited... Thirteen, uh, uh, yeah, thirteen hundred years, just because he, <laughs> he couldn't just pull the trigger. The ring attunes to his own expectations, and he's like, "Fuck, this kid'll do. It's fine." And yeah. then the ring attunes to Dave, and he's like, "Oh, thank God!" Yeah, it's just oh. like it actually ends up just being the first person who he like actually puts it near. Yeah. I realize that we should probably explain that back before he started this quest and got the ring, Veronica was able to temporarily defeat Morgana and take her spirit into herself as a possession right. to try to hold her, and then she was losing control of her, her soul. Right. Soul. So Balthasar so, puts them into the Grimhold, yeah. which uh, is yes. a Russian nesting doll. And that holds their spirit indefinitely unless somebody actively frees them. So he's able to trap both of them in there, but he's in love with Veronica. And the whole reason Horvath goes against them is because he was also in love with Veronica. Right. He's and mad so that... he's a jilted, uh, unrequited suitor. Yeah. He has unrequited yeah. love for Veronica. He ends up being super evil because Veronica fell for Balthazar instead of him. Yeah. Which is, I mean... A thousand year grudge. Yeah, that's what I that, think it's that's kind rough. of interesting because I think the jilted lover or potential lover is, I guess it's a trope for males, but I think it's usually a trope given to female. Hmm, interesting. Roles, you know? Um, I think movies often portray it, you know, both ways. I mean, you know, I think a fair number. I, I guess I, I'm having a hard time thinking of examples off the top well, of Well, there's head, the whole so. cultural stigma about, like, a scorned woman seeking vengeance. Yeah, and hell yeah. hath no fury. Right. And so I think he's filling that role, which is interesting. Hmm. Yeah, that's pretty good. Kind of like a Lancelot position. Lancelot gets pissed about that a lot. Yeah. Different yeah. Arthur stories. Yeah, good point. It is like yeah. Ar an Arthurian legend. Well, yeah, I mean, Merlin, Merlin is... Yeah. <laughs> not, a, not necessarily a major character in this, but like a major side character or a catalyst for everything. Yeah, he's a catalyst, a plot point. Yeah, kind of like... In the King Arthur film, the prequel also could have been very interesting to this movie. Right. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I think a prequel to this would be, or, or like just like, yeah, the story of the setup the, of how, um, like, the uh, Merlinians first waged their war against Morgana could be a great yeah. story. Or Balthazar versus Horvath in, like, the 1920s, because oh, yeah. that's when they last sparred. Yeah, that's when he finally captured him. Yeah, that's when he got him in the Grimhold. Yeah, that could have been really sick. But more on that in retelling history, I think. <laughs> Um, yeah. So going back to Chelsea's point about like the the bodily functions, the incontinence, and, and the, pee -pee -pee -pee. the the control issue, there's also just a kind of a a broader theme of anxiety. I mean, we're talking yeah. about Horvath's anxiety related to Veronica, and then actually, you know, Dave talks about how he had a nervous breakdown after the pants peeing incident. Right. Yeah, he had to move schools. He had to move schools. It seemed like he probably had to like go seek professional help. He claims that he had um, given up on the idea of magic. Like he wanted to forget everything that ever happened. But as Balthazar points out, he had actually David actually held on to the ring mm -hmm. in spite of claiming that he wanted to forget everything. So right. it's like he's kind of repressing his feelings. Or his these anxieties, he's trying to work through them, but they're they're just like boiling under the surface. It's true. He threw away the Grimhold, but he kept the ring. Yeah, I mean, the ring does look really cool. Yeah, it's a yeah. dragon with an orb on its back. Like I, I'm gonna say, the art direction and design in this movie was actually very cool. There's a lot of 
paintings of characters. Like there's a the painting paintings, of yeah. like Nicolas Cage and Alfred Molina um, on the um, is it the, the vase? Yeah, yeah. like and then like there's the paintings of. Um, we didn't talk Drake about... Stone in yeah. his apartment, and there's like a Magic the Gathering yeah. piece of artwork with Drake's face. Yeah, yeah he's apparently a, a planeswalker, Jack was pointing Looks out. Looks like it. That's just a guess. <laughs> yeah. So Drake Stone is a Morganian and an, like an apprentice to Horvath, and um, he was operating without his master because his master got killed at some point. Oh. Yeah. When he was 15 years old, they just disappeared suddenly. Okay. Masters tend to do that. Especially so in the wizarding world. They went out he, to get a pack of smokes. Yeah. He became... Um, <laughs> He's coming back. He became a famous, like, stage magician. I would say a Chris Angel type. Yeah. Yeah, the bleached, spiked up hair, the, like, road strip beard. Yeah, the the glove that only covers half of his palm. Yeah, that was so sick. It was pretty great. Uh, I My biggest complaint about this was um, he was wearing one of those tattoo sleeve t-shirts and it's like very obviously so i'm like is he supposed because like in all the paintings of him he's got these tattoos so i'm like is he supposed to have tattoos and they just did a bad set design or costume design of giving him the sleeve shirt instead of drawing them on or does the character just wear this tattoo sleeve undershirt all the time i could see that (laughs) Yeah. yeah i mean it's a fashion statement and he seemed really concerned with that yeah, it's just it's funny that like all of his paintings of him like painted on the wall also have these fake tattoos. Yeah, that's a good time. Yeah. yeah. Also, he's British. Don't know if we mentioned he's got the British accent. I'm glad you mentioned Wraps that. Wraps it all up. I'm Do really, tell. I'm really glad you mentioned that because why? There's a lot of class struggle themes that Holy. run throughout this entire movie, and one of them is the classic cinema trope of the American heroes. And the mm-hmm. British villains. Oh, okay. All of the villains in this movie have British accents. Why would they? Why would they go head to head? America and England. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just a classic thing. Oh yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll have to Google that because you know we've got our our. I'll say three heroes because I want to elevate Becky a little bit. Yeah. But uh, so like the the characters that we are following the journey of Balthazar, Dave, and Becky are. Even though Day, uh, I'm sorry. Even though Balthazar is supposed to be, you know, Nicolas Cage is playing this character who's a wizard from uh, at least the 700s, if not farther back. He still has an American accent the entire time. Yeah, yeah, true. Meanwhile, Alfred Molina and Alice Krieg, and and then later on Toby Keeble as uh, Drake Stone, all have British accents. So there's, I mean, so the the implication in classic cinema speak is that um, British accents are considered kind of pretentious and upper class. Whereas American accents are often used as more of like the, the rugged individualist hero. Yeah. So that's one of the major um, class themes. It just kind of is an echo of older right. films. But there's a lot more, um, there's a few more subtle things, like such as at the end when, um, I can't remember if it's Morgana, I think Morgana animates the Wall Street Bowl statue. This mm-hmm. whole movie takes place in New York. Horvath does that one. Sorry, Horvath animates the Wall Street Bowl. Obviously the Wall Street Bowl is a symbol of the opulence of the upper class. It's associated with uh, extreme wealth and Wall Street, the stock market and everything. Interestingly enough, I was I was surprised to consider that this movie actually took place a year before the Occupy movement. Oh. But following the Occupy movement, that bowl became a, a well-known symbol of, you know, like, kind of class struggle and, and like, the... It was, it's like yeah. a... a Stand in for elitism and financial. Yeah, Wall Street uh, is the bullshit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, well that that is the 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 right perspective to take on it, but it's often used as a symbol of power. The yeah. bull and, and you know the the wealth of the financial investor than everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one I think a lot more subtle was Dave's obsession with Tesla coils. And if you know your history, Tesla was very much a socialist-minded individual as a counterpoint to Edison, mm-hmm. who was the ruthless capitalist who wanted to exploit Tesla's right. inventions and, and anybody's inventions. But Dave, our protagonist here, represents the man who literally wanted to bring free, clean, and safe power to the entire world. Tesla didn't want 
anyone paying for electricity. He thought that the advancements that he was working towards should go towards the greater good. Yeah. And Dave is using these Tesla coils in a way that, you know, uh, you know, hearkening back to, to this time of, yeah. of kind of like wanting to create something for everybody. Now, he's yeah. using it for the creation of art, which is also laudable in some yeah. regards. He's a good guy with anxiety, but he's a good guy. He's a good guy. And I guess he's also doing his best to elevate the music of One Republic. It's true, yeah. That's a good band. <laughs> which yeah. is apparently the only band he listens to, yeah, and he only listens to that one song on repeat. Because Becky likes that song. Right. <laughs> because he's been following her. That doesn't he necessarily knows. help the, the class narrative. No, I no. think all these other pieces really jumped out to me, reinforcing yeah. the fact that I know that every fantasy movie is hiddenly a, a deep class commentary. Yes. Here's the quick rundown of Tesla. He wanted to give the world free energy but instead he took an L. Yes. <laughs> I mean he also was working on a death ray, right? Oh yeah, that's right. He <laughs> fired the world's largest, like longest man-made bolt of lightning between two Tesla coils. I think it was like 120 feet, something like that. I mean, he is something of a wizard, too. Yeah. If the biography that I've read of Tesla has anything to say about it. Because that book is called Wizard. Nice. Um, That's interesting that you point that out, because in this movie, I noticed that magic was portrayed as a form of physics. Yeah. The way that Balthazar was explaining um, magic to Dave when they meet later on when Dave is older and after Balthazar escapes from the vase he's trapped in um <clears throat> he's explaining it as like just affecting molecules and using the mind to affect molecules and it's kind of like a form of mind over matter but it is like um extrasensory like a paranormal ability that they have yeah which they need a ring or some kind of jewelry to channel a the, focus the focus yeah but he does explain it through physics terminology, yeah. which is interesting. He said, yeah, he hits you up with that typical movie trope. You know how humans only use 10% of their brains, Dave? Oh, I had to have a hard <laughs> eye roll at that part. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you yeah, mean? Are, are you saying that that's not true? <laughs> yeah. Every okay. movie ever has told me that that is how it works. Yeah, yeah. all right. But listen to this, right? Humans only use 10% of their brains, Dave. Is, is Nicolas Cage here? Yeah, but uh, but sorcerers use 100% of their brains, right? <laughs> but what if you only use, like, 60%? Are you just a shitty sorcerer, or are you just a huge brain human? Yeah. <laughs> That's what a great then? question. What then? That's why I'm only 90%, and let me tell you, it's just shit brain human. <laughs> but, yeah, he was explaining how you use 100% of your brain, and the energy from, like, the neurons in your brain gets channeled to your mega conductor, which is your arcane focus, and it just, like, blasts your brain energy into the world, and that's how your magic works. Right. Nice. Yeah. I'm glad you guys brought this up. I actually thought the magic system in this movie was really interesting and cool. I like that they equated it with physics and kind of a scientific understanding of the world. And a lot of the what they do in the movie with magic is kind of based on real-world principles or, like, they they use the environment in interesting ways. Yeah. yeah. Um, it really reminded me of one of my favorite video games series, the Divinity Original Sin games, where Ooh. magic kind of like... I mean, you know, this is like this is a movie, so you can do a little bit more with it, but like how the elements of magic kind of interact with each other. Like in Divinity, you can like put out magical oil or oil and light it all on fire, and then you can put it out with rain, and that creates smoke. And like in the movie, they're transmogrifying things. They're... Um, like, using mirrors in an interesting way. They can, like, yeah. send people into a mirror universe. Rugs. Um, quick rugs. Yes, quicksand rugs, just like in real physics. And in the D&D movie. And, yeah. yes, yeah. The, a nice callback to one of our favorite scenes from the Dungeons & Dragons movie. Yeah. Um, I liked how they were, like, they turned 
a dragon float into a dragon. Yeah, that was like they use their environment in interesting ways. Like pretty much every magic fight in this movie uses the environment in a interesting way where it's not just like they don't just necessarily create fireballs out of nothing and then they just kind of poof and are gone. Like they're it there's a lasting effect to everything and there's kind of a reliance on like being able to see what is in your the surrounding area and improvisationally use it in a way to your advantage yeah. using your magic. There's yeah. that one scene where Horvath sees a calendar with some wolves on it, and I think he says, sweet, yeah. in response. Yeah. And then next thing you know, there are four wolves chasing after Dave. And then there, and then later, Balthazar turns them all into puppies, which is the cutest part of the whole movie. Yeah. And then before they get hit by a train, which would be the saddest part of the movie, <laughs> yes, he turns them back into calendar pages, which is so visually cool because it looks like a photo of where the dog was on the tracks. Yeah, and then it turned on a calendar page, which is just so just so neat. Yeah, that was, that pretty was cool. cool. I mean. The, the puppies alone make this movie 10 out of 10. Yeah. yeah. There are other cool scenes where they use the environment. Like when uh, Horvath sees um, that Balthazar has a fire and he like calls some of the fire to his hand to hurl it yes. at him. He yeah. doesn't just conjure it from nothing. Like you were saying, Jamie. And then smart. there's yeah. another th- scene where Dave has hooked up one of his Tesla coils to the front of his car. Yes. Yeah. And he drives it up to where Balthazar and Horvath are fighting, and he sees that Horvath is about to hurl lightning, and he turns it on, and it, like, conducts right to the coil. Oh, yeah. reverberates back on Horvath and really fucks him up. That was cool. Yeah, it's Honestly, yeah, one of the most satisfying movie magic systems I've ever seen. I think that you could build... A really good uh, role-playing game system around this idea of physics as magic. And, you know, maybe there's a system out there that I'm just not familiar with. I really like the idea of physics as magic. It was really cool. Also, I wanted to mention the Grimhold real quick. Yeah. Because it's a Russian nesting doll, right? It just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And And then um, smaller when people leave it. Yeah, that makes sense. But Horvath was on the outside. Yeah. Underneath that was another caster, a Cantonese caster. Oh, right. The yeah. one who summons the dragon and has these cool claws. Yeah. yeah. And he controls the dragon Who with is belt. kind of like a, a monk, too, like a and d style monk. Yeah, he and was very cool. Like, and a hunk. Yeah, that too. It seemed like he was maybe several hundred years old. Seemed yeah, like probably. It. They mention when he's from. Horvath is like, oh, you speak Cantonese, Balthazar? Well, my friend from like 700 AD would gladly speak that with you. (laughs) Yeah, which is probably around their time. But yeah, he's old as well. And then underneath him in the Grimhold, I believe, was Abigail Williams. Yeah, she the, was. In, I don't know if she was the next one or, or one of the next yeah, ones. She's yeah, she's the sa- the girl from the Salem witch trials. Apparently, a Morganian, and uh, which is a problematic uh, story point to imply that the women who were uh, persecuted for witchcraft were actually witches. But yeah, <laughs> I guess helpful plot device. It's a helpful plot device and, and a well trodden one. Yeah, so. yeah. Except yeah, Horvath, uh, you know, uses the parasite spell to like juice her power away. <laughs> right. Also, yeah, about that accent thing where Balthazar is American, right? Yeah. So we see Horvath use like a glamour or like a seeming to make himself look and sound like Dave in one's Oh right, or wait, right. maybe it's Drake. No, it's Balthazar. Uh it is Drake uses it to look like Balthazar. Yeah. So that Dave will drop his guard around him. It's true. Wait, I thought it was <laughs> Drake used it to look like Dave so that Balthazar would drop his guard. Oh, you're Maybe right. Maybe it is, yeah. <laughs> you're right. What a good time. This trap worked so well, it trapped us as an audience into not understanding <laughs> what was going on. Timely. We're just going to keep naming names yeah. until everybody gets confused. I We are well past that. Yeah. Point. <laughs> what if uh, Balthazar just used, like, a nice little... Oh, yeah, also, 
They can touch the outside of their car and turn it into a different car. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> Which true. functions like the new car. So it's not just a glamour. Including, it is a full transmogrification. Yeah, they turn like a sports car, the Morganians do, a sports car into a garbage truck which smashes their car. Yeah. But, uh, and yeah. Dave accidentally turns... Balthazar's car into like a gremlin or something. No, a lemon. A pinto. Or a pinto, yeah. Yeah, yeah but with a all this in bean. mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Balthazar might have used just a spell, like comprehend languages to learn English, and then like one to make his accent sound American. Maybe. I mean, but he's speaking in the same accent at the beginning of the movie in the flashback. That's, you know, you're right. Maybe he's just American. <laughs> he, he, he is American. He has always been American. It's true. Also, this spell that Veronica uses to meld herself with Morgana, Balthazar keeps looking at a scroll which has the spell on it. He knows the spell, it seems. Oh, well, yeah, he uses it at the end of the movie to take Morgana into himself. But... It, it is like this really blotchy red watercolor person and a really blotchy blue watercolor person. And then in the middle is a really blotchy purple watercolor person. I must have zoned out in this. I must yeah. have been in the mirror trap yeah. at this point. Every time he looks at it, I just kept going, <laughs> red and blue make purple. Because <laughs> he's just staring at these big blobs of color Yeah, it was like supposed to be some kind of arcane spell written down on the scroll but it was really just two figures one was red one was blue and then it showed them merging together as purple there wasn't <laughs> any like complicated arcane symbols or anything no also yeah i wanted to talk about another thing merlin makes these books which he gives out to oh pastors, yeah the right? encantuses yes and it's like this little pocket-sized book, and then when you try to open it, it becomes a bigger book. It folds out to a bigger one, and then a bigger one. Yeah, and then it just until keeps unfolding until it's a huge grimoire. Massive grimoire, yeah. And uh, it updates with things that happen in the movie when... Oh, it's like the internet. When Yeah, when Dave and Balthazar go off against Drake and Horvath, they, they have a fight, and then it shows up in a chapter in the book. Oh, wow. Yeah, they flip to the page, and it shows they all four have, like, different portraits in there. Yes. Dave is screaming. You know? yeah. <laughs> I just realized the That's horrific great. implications of the book being, like, the internet. You're, like, looking through a spell, and you're just like... Where did all this racist stuff come in in my spell book? <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. oh, that probably is true. Oh, God. Uh, but, uh, also, Damn crowdsourced magical books. Yeah, it seems like Merlin had like his own special one, though, a special grimoire. I'm sure. Because he was the one who had this spell Morgana tried to steal. And this is the big thing I wanted to bring up. It's like the first scene in the movie, it shows Morgana trying to steal this spell, the, ri the Rising. The Rising, yes. Which resurrects all the, like, powerful undead. Mm-hmm. All, like, the sorcerers who have died, I'm guessing. I thought it was, like, an undead army, but I, I, I don't know if it's explained in full right. detail. I wasn't sure if... It didn't look like it was bringing back every single undead person. No. Okay. specific ones. It but, was... You were right, Jack. It was all the... Un, it was all the deceased sorcerers, specifically. Yeah. And that made me wonder, right? Because why did Merlin make the spell? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. He wanted to control all the dead wizards. Maybe he was trying so. to, like... Get ready to have an army against Morgana and her Morganians? Or maybe he was trying yeah, to impress cool. her. Ooh. Because you're nice. saying they were getting it on Wink. before that? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they are little hot, lovers. Little hot mage love. Could be. Also, you know, a guy as powerful and freelancing as Merlin, you know, a lot of kingdoms might be scared of someone like that. So maybe he's like, you know, guys, I have an apocalypse spell, so, like, leave me alone, please. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, it could be, yeah. like, like the nuke button. Yeah, it's the and nuclear so option. called him on his bluff one day, and he's like, oh, I better really create it so they don't think I'm <laughs> And then Morgana was like, oh, my God, he did it. What the fuck? Ooh, I can use that thing. <laughs> Ooh, don't mind if I do. <laughs> so I couldn't help but wonder throughout watching the movie. Uh, I know we haven't done uh, Can You Roleplay This for a while, 
But I really was wondering what is you know the the magic user in D and D that best represents uh, you know the magic system in this movie. Because I'm like, well, Nicolas Cage seems to know a lot as Balthazar. Like he's pretty intelligent. But I mean, it's Nick Cage. Like he's definitely a charisma caster, right? He's got to be a sorcerer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I think you know like a lot of movies only a certain number of people can be casters because they're born that way which is just like screams sorcerer but, <laughs> oh fair yeah. okay i see i see where you're going because this. they're just inherently magical right but whether you want to be or not in this setting you have to have the arcane focus unless you're the prime merlinian which still doesn't rule out sorcerer right and, uh, although you do need these incantuses in order to learn a lot of spells. So you're you're feeling like warlock or wizard. What's <laughs> an incantus? It's a book. It's the big old books. The grimoire. Yeah. Which kind of says wizard to me. Yeah. Yeah. So I think or sorcerer or, or warlock. Maybe yeah. Tome warlock. Yeah, bound to the tome. Yeah, <laughs> that's unholy. And, well, yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> but, um, like most warlocks are. It seems like if you're a sorcerer. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute. The yeah. apprentice of a sorcerer. If you're a, a sorcerer, you're born with the potential, you know. You're born with a level in sorcerer, and then from there you take wizard levels. You're born with a level of sorcerer? Holy shit. I get, well, you need an arcane focus to start using it. That's like the the like uh, the fear of like uh, in the X Men like having a kid manifesting their mutant powers like in infancy and not being able to control it. Yeah, it's true. But uh, yeah, I think you do have to learn. Oh, you definitely—they're definitely wizards, because Drake, when his master disappeared when he was fifteen years old. He was like, yeah, I couldn't really learn new magic after that. So I had to just become a stage musician, and then I figured it out as I went. Oh, that meant... Yeah, you mean took, so he's a sorcerer. <laughs> yeah, he took more sorcerer levels. Yeah. Okay, I see where you're going. Oh, right. or he's just a wizard who, like, studied to make his own spells. You know, who knows? I guess we'll need to delve deeper into this one. It's true. We'll ask Nicolas Cage. Yeah, I'll call him up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess it's time to discuss whether or not the villains in this movie were evil, stupid, or misunderstood. That's right, this is the part of the podcast where we ask the bold question, were the villains evil, stupid, or misunderstood? So I guess we should start with Morgana, the head villain of the film. That's fair. Do we get enough of her to answer this question? Well, I mean, meta-knowledge, she's played by the woman who plays the Borg Queen in Star Trek. So just pure evil. Yeah. I mean, I always think <laughs> no, of her great. as evil. She's a great actress. I always think of her as evil no matter what she does because she, <laughs> she, because of that. But also, she mainly does play evil roles. Yeah, she. I mean, she plays a villain like nobody's business. Let me tell you. She plays a villain like Nicolas Cage plays a madman. It's true. It's true. Her hair was shaped like a butt, so they're already off to a bad start in a pee-pee-poo-poo movie like this. Yeah. So you think that just the whole imagery of the movie was just designed to make audiences need to go to the bathroom? Dude, if her hair farted like that, <laughs> I swear, that that would be in place in this film. It, wow. It did look like a butt. Yeah, it looked like a butt. I she miss seemed this. mean. She had the most elitist. <laughs> I must accent. have been. I must so have she, been. You're saying she was the asshole to her hair. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I must have been lingering too much on Monica Belushi to notice the butt hair. <laughs> yep. It's really big. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So I'm going to have to say, you know, <laughs> butthead evil character. <laughs> she was evil. I mean, in the conceit of the movie, she was kind of unequivocally evil. Okay. Um, she, yeah. she was like, pra she was bad. Practicing right. bad magic. <laughs> all of, Very bad. All of the good Merlinians had to fight her. <laughs> Yeah, it's so good. She had to all be right. put down. That's how bad she was. All right. Yeah, it's true. How about Horvath? Oh, poor Horvath. I think he's misunderstood and misguided. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's, like, he's I think the jilted lover yeah. thing really um 
Exactly. Gives you a little bit of sympathy, I think, in, in some regards. Yeah, perhaps misunderstood is one, but I perhaps stupid isn't... He's like, also stupid. Yeah, I don't think it's the nicest way to say it. <laughs> but, you know, he doesn't handle his emotions well. Oh, uh, yeah, think he does I, not have good emotional yeah, maturity. I think we understand him perfectly well. <laughs> Fair. I just think he doesn't have control... He's not as cunning or strategic as he thinks he is. No. I, he's just, he's strong. That's what yeah. he is. Yeah. And, I mean, people don't expect him to betray them because they're on the same team all working for Morgana. So, like, when he betrays them, you can expect them to be surprised. Right. Yeah. He's not exactly a mastermind. Yeah, I might say he's misunderstood and stupid. Yeah, because I want there to be the timeline where they all get along as friends. Let me tell you, after the credits, there was a teaser where Horvath is, like, in Balthazar's shop. Right. Again. With Mickey's hat. Yeah, with Mickey's yeah. hat. Like, there's going to be a sequel. Wizard hat. I he don't think there will He was looking for something, like an artifact or something. Yeah. Type. I thought he was, like, escaping from the Grimhold or something. No. No. Or from the... There was something with the hat. No, he got away. I'm not sure, but the thing is, yeah, they were setting up for a sequel. I don't think there's going to be a sequel. No, it's been ten years. But I have something to talk about Horvath in that sequel when it gets to rewriting history. Maybe, you know, nice the redemption arc. Okay. okay. Alright, well, on that note, I guess it's time to rate this film. So I'm going to ask my co-host to give this film a rating between 1 and 10 magic rings, <gasps> but first to tell me an epic moment or feature of the movie. But hey, I'll go first. Okay. What the fuck? Oh yeah, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> so my epic moment for the movie is actually the very end when they're setting it up that Balthazar has died while fighting Morgana and he's laying there in the middle of the park and Dave is like, no way, you're not going without me giving you a fighting chance. And he channels electricity to do magical defibrillation on Balthazar. Just like pounding the, the chest paddles by priming the magic through his hands and, and shocking him while basically dabbing on Balthazar the whole time and just talking mm -hmm. mad shit until he shocks him back into life. It was, it was pretty nuts. That's I, I, I kind of love that. He, yeah, he's yeah. daring Balthazar's soul to come back into his body. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get back here, you son of a bitch. I'm not done with you. <laughs> Boy, this movie is pretty fun. Um, I'm going to give it... I'm going to give it a seven and a half magic rings. That's a half-size ring of magic. Pinky ring? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Totally. Seven rings and a, and a pinky ring of magical power. Because that that extra half point is for the pure Nicolas Cage content. Uh, the rest is that it's a it's a pretty fun little jaunt. So mm -hmm. nice, Jack. Do you want to go next? Sure, sure. I think an epic moment for an underrated hero. I'd like to give the spotlight to Dave's roommate, whose name I don't know. Oh yes, the roommate was very very cool. Yes, the mm -hmm. roommate was nerdy. He seemed popular. He seemed to be going to the same college as Dave. Mm -hmm. And he seemed like a bio-nerd, maybe? Yes, that's yeah. right. Dave is physics, and his roommate was a bio-nerd. And he kept talking about how the bio-nerds are going out drinking. And he's that's like, right. Dave... Because the bio-nerds are cool. Yeah, exactly. Dave, come out with us. And Dave is like, no, I've got too much work to do. I can't. Jay Barshell? Is that you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, his roommate is like, come on, man. When you're part of the wolf pack and he holds up that calendar that the wolves came out of. Oh, my he's God. He's like, when you're in the wolf pack, you have to participate or you get left behind. And that's basically him saying to Dave, like, you got to hang out with your friends if you want friends. <laughs> Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, you gotta like reach you, you out. You gotta to spend people. money to make money. Sure. But he's trying to have Dave's back. Yeah, he's yeah. trying to be a good friend. And uh, later in the movie, he's on a hot date where he's about to make out with this like 
chick he has. There's about to be so much kissing. Yeah. (laughs) And they're like by the fireplace laying down on the carpet and they're like have wine and they're about to kiss. And then he gets a phone call and it's Dave and he's like, I need you out here right now. And then uh, he, despite being on the date, goes and he helps Dave at his lab hook the Tesla. What a friend. Yeah, hook up the Tesla coil to the front of his car. And Dave is explaining to him like all this crazy stuff. And the roommate, all he says is, Dave, this is definitely you participating. He's <laughs> so callback. helpful. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. It, it's great. He is, like, a really good emotional support. Really nice friend, you know. That's um, the roommate you want to have in college. Yeah, that's an yeah. epic friendship. I like that's it. That's my moment. And your rating? My rating is, uh, I think I'm going to match you at... Seven rings and uh, a toe ring. Arcane. All of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That much we know. Is it the arcane casters? It's a lot of fun. I think they probably could have played Secrets by One Republic two or three more times (laughs) in the film. But, uh, hey, I like that song. It's on a few of my playlists. (laughs) I just think it's funny. That literally every time I hear it, I'm just like, Nicolas Cage. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess any song that reminds me of Nicolas Cage is a good song. Yeah. All right, Chelsea. What do you think? <laughs> I just can't let this go without saying this epic moment. It's when he's got the whole mop and broom debacle when he's trying to clean clean his lab before Becky comes over that the whole movie is based on from Fantasia, the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Right. And she's at the door. And he goes to the door to try to answer it without having been able to dispel the magic from anything yet. And he knows how mops, to start the magic, but not how to stop the magic. The mobs are pushing up against him as he's trying to talk to her, and she can't see any of them somehow. And then there's one that just keeps trying to get into his asshole. <laughs> <laughs> it's plunging up there. And he just keeps making all these sounds like a Wookiee. And <laughs> like, she's standing right there. The mobs don't understand uh, like the uh, social contract, but they definitely know how to get a human's attention. Yeah. <laughs> True. And so he's just like, you need to leave. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I need a long time with my mop. Yeah, yes, that's so good. I um, don't know how Becky ever speaks to him again after that scene. Yeah, dude, there's like the one strand of rope that's like inching on his shoulder towards his ear and making these like weird squeaking hissing noises. Yeah. And he's just like, ah! <laughs> yeah, over at it. That scene made me so uncomfortable. Yeah, one of them is like trying to finger his ear while the other one is just plunging his ass. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Maybe they know what Dave likes. And he's, yeah, he's just he like... He did cast the spell after all. Are you saying that magic in this universe, like, <laughs> follows its caster's, like, desires? Yeah. Okay, I can see it. So, that's my epic moment. <laughs> so, does that epic moment also make this a 10 out of 10 for you? <laughs> I think I'm going to give this movie... Eight out of ten sorcerers. Nice, solid. Because of how fun it is, all the cage charm, oh, and so the, much. the creative use of magic and science together. Nice, yeah, yeah. nice. Solid ratings across the board. Yeah. That was a good movie. Yeah. yeah. Then I guess it's time to head over to the bounty board. bounty today good question jack what's on the bounty board today on the bounty today uh go for a walk you know you know if you're in the northern hemisphere like we are oh sorry if i just doxed us (laughs) it's winter and you know you can get cooped up inside because it's cold not a lot of you know vitamin d from the sun you know but that can get some people down. And what if they're listening to this in the summer? Still go outside. <laughs> it's nice. You know? <laughs> it's I like it. 
yeah. <laughs> outside is pretty good. But uh, give outside a try. I think you'll like it if you haven't done it before. Give it a shot. If you're new to it? Yeah. Nice. Walk much? <laughs> try. Not as much as I used to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Another bounty we wanted to put out there today, or a quest we wanted to give you all, contact us via email. Send us your questions and other inquiries. You can ask us something about ourselves, anything about the hosts of the show. Ask us about um, something about the movies we watch. Hey guys, what's your bank account numbers? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can ask us about some of our favorite fantasy movies or genres. And um, what else can they ask us about? Uh, favorite video games, favorite tabletop games. Uh, how we're doing. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can also tweet us at Swords and Satire and t- tweet your questions there. Okay. Or DM but, on Instagram. Yeah. So Don't the, do that. The email address <laughs> you can send any of your questions to is swordsandsatire at gmail.com. And that's, that's all, so easy. That's all spelled out. Yes. One word, Swords and Satire. The name of our podcast. Yeah. yeah. At gmail.com. So... That's a quest for you all right there. And if you haven't checked out our Instagram, you know, give it a try. There are some great memes on there. Chelsea and Jamie. I think, Jamie, is it just you or does Chelsea help? <laughs> I, I mostly make the memes. Yeah, yeah, check out the memes. Jamie if makes... Chelsea laughs at them, then I know they're good. Yay. Jamie makes the memes. I help him sometimes create the images. <laughs> yes, yeah, when we do mashup images. Oh, yeah, Chelsea's Photoshop game is on point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, our our Photoshop last week of um, uh, Stoic the Vast Head on uh, <laughs> uh, Leonidas's body. Up that here. was great. Oh. And also, you know, from our last Cage movie, Season of the Witch, oh, uh, yeah. you should definitely go back and take a look at the images we posted from that one because one of my all-time favorites was Chelsea's Photoshop of a magic card from that movie. Yes. Now that we've activated 90% of our human brains, why don't we go to Rewriting History, the part of the podcast where we... Take the movie we just watched and discuss ideas for a sequel, a reboot, or a spin-off. And Jack- it seems like you guys have had a couple of ideas. Yeah. Jack had an idea. Yeah. I have DOS ideas. Spin of the web. All right. The first one that I already mentioned, you know, Horvath. I feel for the guy mm-hmm. because you think he's pretty much just unambiguously... Bad guy magic. <laughs> yes. But, um... And if you if you think that, then it's understandable. Yeah. But in the scene where he's explaining to Balthazar that he was into Veronica and Veronica chose Balthazar and that hurt Horvath, you know, the, uh, maybe it's just the acting is really good, but... Yeah. <laughs> That's probably it. Like, he seems so relatable, or, like, not necessarily... He seems so sympathetic in that moment. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no. And in the next movie, you know, if it's Hollywood, it has to be while he's dying. <laughs> but I, I really want he and Balthazar to fix their friendship. Oh, wow. Somehow. Yeah, they used to be friends and compatriots. Yeah, yeah. best friends. Yeah. Yeah. Bosom companions. Even. <laughs> yeah. And maybe Horvath will, can learn that he doesn't have to take possession of the things that he loves. And that he can learn that Veronica has her own autonomy and he can learn to appreciate her as an autonomous adult. That would be a very nice ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, And, and accept her decision, you know? Yeah. yeah. She loved Balthazar. That's just the way it goes. It wasn't an indictment against him. He should, he can learn that if he can let go of his hurt feelings that he still has two people who are willing to be his friends. Yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. Also, you can tell Balthazar, like, still has a good time with his rivalry. Oh, yeah. Horvath does. Yeah, yeah, Horvath, yeah. Yeah. Because he's, like, constantly complimenting Balthazar throughout the movie. He's like, ah, oh, you old dog, the mirror trick. Haven't seen that one in a while. Yeah, he's pretty enthusiastic yeah. about everything that Balthazar throws at him. Yeah, he's yeah. a fan of Balthazar. Like, they don't get along. 
of course, he's directly He doesn't like him, him, but he respects him. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, maybe he, he, he like, hates him, but they were friends at one point, and that still kind of shows through, I think. And so, yeah, I'd really like to see them get along at some point in the next movie. (laughs) I I like it when people are nice to each other. Yeah, when friends reunite. That's a good time. I think that the the rewrite that I'd like to incorporate would be uh, actually tying this back to the Mickey... Uh, Fantasia, <laughs> like kind of doing like a Who Frame Roger Rabbit with like the animated, oh my god, Mickey, and, and then the uh, like in, animated Mickey interacting with <laughs> live action Dave. Nicolas Cage. Oh, I love that. Can That's you imagine? So good. That would be amazing and cursed at the same time. <laughs> Horvath is going to bring about the apocalypse, Balthazar. <laughs> oh yeah, there you go, Horvath is feeling like thwarted after they killed Morgana. He wants to avenge her death, so maybe he's trying to find another way to raise all the dead sorcerers and take control yeah, of Yeah, ra- which might include Morgana, although she was in soul form, so I'm right. not sure. Yeah, yeah. It could probably work. He could but find they, a way. They somehow find a way to reach him and turn him back to the Marlinian side. Yes, and he hmm. gets goofy on his team. <laughs> <laughs> nice. We get the Kingdom Hearts crossover. When you walk away you don't yeah yeah <laughs> kingdom heart oh yeah and then instead of one republic you could just have all the kingdom hearts music oh on god oh, heck yeah dude wow. <laughs> oh wait it would be so cool if we got a sorcerer's apprentice level in a kingdom hearts game like i didn't play oh. kingdom hearts but that'd be oh really man neat. yeah if yeah. if they had nicholas cage in kingdom hearts i would have actually bought the third one yeah yeah Hell yeah, dude. That would be awesome. That yeah, that would have been really good. Did we ever answer did we ever find out if um if it is safe to only hold one uh hand on the bar in the Faraday cage or No, I'm not sure. <laughs> this is the moment yeah, a Faraday cage for the listeners is uh, a cage you stand in when lightning is being blasted at you. So you don't, you know, Die. <laughs> and at, or poop your pants. Yeah, or pee, pee and poop your pants. But, uh, yeah, Dave is in there with Becky. And he's like, make sure to hold on to the bar with two hands or you'll die. Aren't I a romantic date? Isn't this the best first date ever? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, constantly while they're in there, they're taking one hand off the cage to gesture and to talk. And I'm like, yo, they're dead. They're <laughs> yeah. dead. Are they dead? And then I was asking myself, like, wait. Isn't it more dangerous to have both hands on the bar? Because it'll conduct the electricity through your heart? Or do you need both hands? I'm so confused. We, we need a physicist. We need a real I day know type. That you need to be grounded. So. Yeah, it's true. So I'm not sure how it works. I don't think that they knew. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. But that's okay. Yeah. They survived. And I'm happy for them. Alright, well then I guess it's time to send our listeners on a side quest. Where we talk about another piece of fantasy fiction or entertainment that the listeners should check out this week. Yeah. Huzzah! (laughs) Chelsea, I think you've got one in the chamber. Yeah, we have this amazing board game called Mice and Mystics. Um, It's like a... By Plot Hat Games. It's an RPG light board game where you play a group of adventurers that have been turned into mice and they're trying to save their kingdom from an evil sorceress who has turned all of her royal guards into big nasty rats who come after you. And so you fight against the rat guards, you fight insects. Yep. And you, you save your other fellow mice that you find around the castle? Yeah, you sometimes you go up into, like, the, the boards are, like, the boards are double-sided, which is pretty cool. Like, you actually flip tiles as part of the play. Like, you might be in a cave, and then, it's say, you find a pathway up into the kitchen, so you flip the tile into the kitchen. And then when you're in the castle, everything is scaled huge for your mouse size. You know, it's like human size furniture with a 
mouse-sized miniatures. And the minis are great. High-detailed, very adorable mice and rat miniatures with swords and daggers and hammers and stuff. Yes, and it's a fun combat system with dice rolling. Yes, and cheese. Yes, and yeah. cheese you can collect and level up with. And it's it's full of magic and whimsy, and it's a lot of fun. And they're so cute. They have the little paws. Yeah. Yep. And, yeah, and the, the nose, you know, they're cute. They're, they're mice. Cute. They're all. cute like mice. You have a cleric, a thief, fighter, a tinkerer, a wizard, wizard yeah. an archer, and more. And they all feel unique. And you can have unique abilities and everything. It's, it's great. It's a great game. Yep. Yes. And the wizard mouse, his familiar is a ladybug. Yep. Which is just like, I'm already sold just yeah. on yeah. that. Named Meeps, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maginos and Meeps. Yeah. So yeah, it's check great. out Mice and Mystics. It's a great, fully cooperative, story-heavy game that is actually fun for the whole family. Yes. Yeah. Get out and buy. Get out uh, and buy one and play it with your with your friends or family. Yeah. All right. Well, then this is the point where I think we are going to throw out the bed rolls and uh, snuff out the fire and head off for the night. We'd like to thank you all for listening to Swords and Satire. If you enjoyed the show, we would really love it if you'd jump on the iTunes and leave us a little review. That would be stupendous. Use those bardic skills to weave a tale of how much joy and laughter and thoughtfulness uh, we brought to you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Remember, you can listen to us on Spotify and iTunes. You can email us at swordsandsatire at gmail.com or tweet us at swordsandsatire. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram to find out about what we watched that week and get those great memes. But until next time, Hail Crom! Bite down on the foam. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait! <laughs>